Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast. Today, we have one of our coaches on, Al Painter. He's our local uh, resident cyclist expert, so uh, we'll turn it over to Al to give a little intro to himself. What's going on, fellas? Thanks a ton for having you on the show. I'm super excited. It's been way too long since we've caught up. Neil. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a long time, man. Yeah. The other <laughs> guy. The way I'm looking at it, it's like today it's Neil plus one that I'm what? talking to. Oh, <laughs> that's jacked up, bro. That's jacked up. Whatever, dude. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, people. Like, <laughs> I've been doing this fitness racket. When we break in, Dennis, 2001? Is that when we met? No, nah, that was back early 99, bro. Or 2000. No, 2000, dude. Was it 2000, 2001? Yeah, anyway, no, I've been doing this forever. Been doing this forever, 20 years, learned a few things. Luckily, I know a lot of people like you guys, a hell of a lot smarter than I am. Did the stick coach mobility, part of one of the original classes, uh, the TRX thing, NASM, CPT, PES, CES, graduated from Santa Clara University with a journalism degree, and I just recently finished up with the uh, Personal Trainer Development Center online trainer course, course. That was awesome. And then I raced my mountain bike from 2006 to 2012, very, very painful years. And I've seen tons of cyclists break, and I know what keeps them from doing that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at some stats. I know with the last, with the stuff that's gone on in 2020, we saw the huge boom in the cycling industry. I mean, all the back orders, it was hard to find bikes. But before that, there was the cycling in the U.S., it was a six-plus-billion-dollar industry, so it's even grown even more since then. Yeah, it's, it's a popular thing to do. I mean, it's easy. You just you get on your bike, you push a pedal down, and off you go on, on, uh, on an adventure. It's a lot of fun. So there's a lot of probably, especially for people that weren't cyclists, all of a sudden jumping into cycling, there's probably some very common issues that, are, that occur. Yeah, definitely. The biggest one is... As a bike rider, you're going to get your lower body hammered much more so than a runner will. I've seen a bike mangled people's bodies much more so than the runners that I've worked with. And since 2006, it's working with endurance athletes primarily, it's been one thing. They don't have glute function. That's it. They don't have glute function because they're sitting down all day. So let's say you sit down to work. We'll call that eight hours, whatever. And then for you might drive to your ride, right, seated. Then you sit down to ride, and then you get back in your car to sit, to drive home. Then you sit, and you have dinner, and then maybe you stand up to shower, and then finally you lay down. That's a hell of a lot of sitting. And when you're on the bike, you're in that seated position doing the knees going up and down in one plane of motion that you're sitting in all day as it is, and you're going to lose glute function really quickly. And when you lose glute function, the whole operation is going to go south. You might start developing knee issues, low back issues, hip issues. Heck, you can even get into the shoulders, internal rotation. After people get tired, I've seen a lot of people when they get tired, it looks like they put a time trial helmet in their upper back and their chin is almost resting on their stem, but they're grinding away and getting healthier. Yeah, I think that's the irony in it too. It's it, We do this because cardiovascularly it's good for you, but then on the other side, you know, from lines of pull, how, how healthy is it actually, you know? Yeah, it's such a repetitive stress motion. And I think that's one of the things that if I had a wish for the industry, that would be one thing that they would put in 
every time a bike is sold, whether it's sitting in someone's living room or they're out and about riding it, is, hey, look, this is great for your heart and your lungs. And it's going to keep you, you healthy. It's going to help your moods post-ride and, and all the other side benefits. However, you're going to need to do this other thing to address the thing you're going to do to get healthy, to stay healthy and keep riding. Well, because if you just look at the sheer angles, you know, your anterior angle is really closed. So your, your posterior angle is, is really extended. So you kind of keep getting that continuous pull, continuous pull. So you got these anterior tissues that are just really locked short, but they're really deficient. You know, whereas you have the posterior line that's really overextended and stressed out all the time, right? Yeah. Plus, there's nothing for the lateral line. Maybe out oh, of the yeah. saddle. Maybe. Maybe going through a corner. Downhill mountain bike racer, free riders, they get a little more movement in the saddle because they got to be up and down around obstacles and everything else, moving the bike to the left and to the right. But if you're riding a road bike or especially if you're riding a triathlete, right, you're in that, mm -hmm. that very small position to ride your time trial bike, you have to take your body left. You have to take it to the right and do as much anti-rotation stuff as possible because a lot of the people that I work with, they can't connect their right hand to their left foot and vice versa diagonally. And then they tell me, well, I can't corner as well this way or that way. It's like, well, because your body is not talking that way. Your, mm -hmm. your left and your right, they're not talking. That's why you can go one way better than the other one. And then we'll do like a stick drill, one of my anti-rotation drills where you just push the stick into the wall, bam, unlocks everything. They can do a switchback like nobody's business instantly. And then they think, I'm not a horrible human being who can't make a tight turn. Like, no, your brain just wasn't letting your muscles move your bones the right way. That's all. What's the you know first thing you do to, to try to help people unlock their hips and get the glutes going? See how they do with isometrics. Because if they can't do isometrics, then there's no reason to really go after anything dynamic. So I like to see what their, their lateral hip activity is, or more importantly, isn't. The, uh, I think you guys call it the Perduvian man. I like to call it the, the angry starfish or the Captain Morgan <laughs> is a great way to see because it, it's going to tell me if somebody's foot is collapsing and pronating or if they can actually provide some lateral force into the body and use it. I like to use a lot of bent over split stance positions because it's, it mimics what's going on in the saddle. Ideally, if I can get them doing a rear foot elevated split squat of some kind, ideally in a suspension strap where they can pull to flex the hip as they extend on the other side like they do in the saddle. I love doing that. But it's a lot of, of single leg and or split stance or half kneeling positions because they don't get that when they ride. And the ones that I can put in this position without each hip dislocating, I'll put them in a 90-90 position and do a lot of anti-rotation stuff. Do you find that there's a lot of knee issues? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially people that haven't had a bike fit because if you're locked into your pedal, and your saddle is not high enough, low enough, too far forward, too far back, if your cleat position's in the wrong place, you are locked into a machine that's dictating the way you move. And if your foot's pronating one way or the other, you're going to get hammered. And usually, luckily, right, we know the joint in the middle of the force production is the one that's going to get crushed, and it's typically the knee. But if it's not a fit issue, then it's definitely a glute thing because sometimes, I mean, you could go up to a cyclist and just, barely touch their IT band with enough force that would even knock a butterfly out of flight. No scream in agony because mm -hmm. their knees or I'm sorry, their IT band is so overactive because the glutes are so underactive. Mm -hmm. So you have to work the glutes. I mean, if, 
if there's one takeaway from this lucky enough to be on the show here, it's, it's if you ride a bike, get your glutes sore at least once a week, at least once a week, work on your glutes, stand up to push and pull. I'm not a big fan of lying down on the ground. You'll see a lot of like in a, in a class, you know, the post ride core quote unquote, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. there's V ups and just all manner of just continuing to collapse that interior chain. Mm-hmm. When you just spend an hour super high intensity stuff, one, you just fried your nervous system. So you, what kind of motor control are you going to have with those muscles as it is? Mm-hmm. And two, you're further hammering a pattern that most people are too damn good at as it is. So don't, don't do it. Plus, if we go by the set principle, right, specific adaptations mm-hmm. to impose demands, when, unless you've just crashed, at which point you've got a whole different set of problems, when are you on your back producing force horizontally at a 45 degree angle or vertically other than never i can't really think of one it's always vertical head is somewhere near the horizon pushing down towards the ground so you know like check said if if the further away from an exercise or a a movement you want to improve that training modality or exercise is the further away from that improvement you're going to get it it always blows my mind when i see cycling specific core strength stuff and it's it's faced up or some kind of butchered plank thing right Mm -hmm. now i realize Mm -hmm. if there's a corrective or rehab thing where something needs to be reconnected neurologically like in pt i had a left knee surgery in 2005 left glute just went to sleep as a result so i was on a pt table doing clamshells and single leg bridges and all manner of stuff to shock and awe the glutes back into existence but then after that they had me standing up to do everything else because i'm an upright ambulatory person Mm -hmm. who rides a bike I had to be producing force into the ground to be able to react to ground reaction forces. So it, it doesn't do you any good as a bike rider to go down to the ground to, to do force production with the leg if you want to get better at riding a bike. As for a little variety, sure, why not? But if your sole purpose in the gym is to get better at riding your bike, you got to produce force toward the ground with one leg. So have you found success doing single leg deadlifts? Yeah, definitely. For the people who can do that, particularly with a cable or an exercise band where they can connect that diagonal line, I have a lot of people just stop, start with just stepping back, touching the ground, and then stepping forward because if I, I have to make sure that they can control that motion or even use like a valve slide to go back and forth. If they can do that, then we're off and running with the single leg deadlifts, particularly in that if they can get to a tabletop position, that helps them on the bike, particularly going uphill quite a bit and you're going to get that single leg work i like to have people do it barefoot so they get that tripod right big toe pinky toe heel and let them know that look when you put on your cycling shoes and most people who ride a bike they wear the shoe and the shoes are really narrow they don't they don't make the shoes like ultras or zeros vivo barefoot you know they're narrow and they jam your toes into the shoes you can't really articulate all that much and you got that carbon sole which yeah it gives you more power into the pedal but it also inhibits your foot from being able to articulate from that stiff surface. You can't really get a lot of movement. So they have to be able to, to get out of that shoe. And one of the ways to wake the foot up is doing that single leg barefoot RDL kind of thing. I think that's a great point. What you just made about the toe articulation is the fact that like for us in hockey, the toe box is actually really pretty big. And so we, even when I put my foot in there, I can still articulate my toes which is a great differential between what you were saying with the with the pointy part of the cycling shoe versus something that has a bigger toe box. 
Yeah, and a lot of endurance athletes, I'm just going to say, endurance athletes, we're coming to Jesus right now. You guys have terrible proprioception. You don't have a lot of awareness of how your body moves in a three-dimensional space, particularly just something as, as simple as turning to pivot, like squishing a bug, you know, if you're swimming mm-hmm. bad or tennis striking. That's really hard to do because their toe mobility, especially in the big toe, is just it's terrible. Right? There are a lot of them, if, if they're in the say, a push-up position or push-up plank position, you get three toes making contact, right? The, the essentially ring toe and pinky toe don't touch the ground because they don't have the mobility to get that entire foot flat. So you're losing a third of your tripod right then and there, right? And then maybe you're going to get some internal hip rotation and, and overactive adductors, underactive abductors, and then it's, you know, the whole exercise or operation goes south from there. I think what's interesting is like David Wexman talk, talks about a lot about the lateral arch of the foot. And really helping to strengthen that lateral arch of the foot, uh, creating that little scooping mechanism of the foot, allows you to access the glute better and really helps engage the adductor appropriately versus, you know, where we see most people pronating in, adductor shortens and really weakens. I've been really light enjoying that fact of understanding, yeah, we talked a long time about, yeah, the three arches of the foot, but then... We talk about it, but then we don't really tell people how to strengthen it, especially the lateral arch. Yeah, yeah. the, the people that I work with, I tell them, look, if, if you want your feet as strong as possible, one, I just, I said to them, go to Emily's, Dr. Emily Splickle's uh, YouTube account and just have at it. Block out an hour or two and go through her drills and your feet are going to be a lot stronger. And go walk on sand. Go walk on sand and try to grab every grain with your toes and then go ride your bike and tell me how it feels. And most of the time they're like, whoa, or, or percussion guns, massagers going on the bottom of the foot, get on your bike and go. A lot of people are like, whoa, I'm a little more awake. Like, yeah, cause you stimulated all of those receptors on your foot. So now all the arches work better. All the support muscles work better and you're going to get a better feedback from your foot into the hip to put more power into the pedal. So Al, do you find, you know, different injuries from, like a road cyclist compared to a mountain biker because a mountain biker has, you know, they're moving more, they're, they have different terrain and they're in a different position too. Yes. Yes. To some extent, it seems like the road people I've seen and worked with or sent off to a PT more knee issues and mountain bikers, their frequency of getting hurt. I haven't seen it quite the same because you get more now. Thank goodness. It's making a comeback is flat pedals with really wide shoes, right? So I've got some of the, I ride 510s and flat pedals and that helps a ton. So you're not locked in to your pedal when you're, you have a flat, you can move your foot around a lot better. So that translates up all the way up the line and people can corner better, they can put in, in more power. So I would say that mountain bikers are a little more prone as far as injury goes from what I've seen crashing just because it's a lot more dynamic and there are a lot more things to contend with on the road, uh, knee injuries, and probably concussions just because, and I've done it when I was racing, you put your head on the tarmac at speed, oh, you're going to yeah, be resting yeah. for a few days, right? <laughs> but uh, mountain bikers, they typically aren't as rounded because they are a little more upright. Like you said, the geometry of the frames put you in a more upright position because being able to move the bike all around your body is more important than being spread out to provide more power and goes fast in a straight line. So for a recreational road cyclist, would you recommend clips or going clipless? 
I mean, recreational, not competitive. Just out and about to ride. Like somebody that wants to ride, you know, five, 10 miles a day just to stay healthy, you know, burn some extra calories. Oh, yeah. Don't don't clip in. Don't clip in. No, because one, the performance, and you can go to James Wilson's mountain bike strength coach or something like that, his website, and he has all kinds of stats of clipped versus flats for power and all this other kind of thing. But the power you give up is negligible. And the comfort okay. level you get back is exponentially higher. So if, if it's a commuter or just somebody who just wants to get out and ride, yeah, don't clip in. Don't clip in. You save yourself some money. And it's more fun to be riding on flats. It, it really is. It, it, it brings, especially on a mountain bike, it brings out kind of this little kid nature jumping mm-hmm. off curves and just being silly, jumping and bunny hopping and, and everything else. Because when I'm, when I'm clipped in on my mountain bike, I'm training on my rides. All right, that's it. I want to go. I want to put my game, my my ride on Strava and see where I'm ranking. But I'm mm. when I'm on flats, I'm just out there to ride and have some fun. It's a, it's a different mentality. It's just from the shoe I'm wearing. It's it's very odd, but it's a thing. Do you find that most people are pushed into getting clips? Like kind of a, a you know, like when you go to a sporting goods store for sneakers, most people are like, "Oh, you need arch support. You need this cushion. You need to do this." Instead of saying, "Hey, you know, we can actually look at other things to strengthen the foot." Do you think the not novice cyclist is being told, "Okay, you need clips"? I think it depends on the shop. Okay. Actually, I think it does. If it's a more performance-oriented shop, and it, it, basically the rider's going to segment themselves by the shop that they go to, to some extent, mm-hmm. right? There are some shops, straight mountain bike. And you're going to see bikes with more travel and the suspension and shorter top tubes and everything else. And, and chances are you're going to take your bike out of there with some flats on it. They'll probably push you into some 510s to the shoes. But unless you go in there specifically and tell them, look, I'm cross-country racing. What do I need? Then they're going to tell you. But if you're a recreational cyclist, most shops will just get you on the bike. Mm-hmm. And then they'll do some kind of fitting to make sure it feels good. And then... They'll let you go out and see, and you know, the, the magazines, that's what pushed me into getting clipped in. It wasn't a shop. Oh. It was that I saw these other people doing it, like, ah, well, they're doing it, so maybe I should do it too. But it's, I don't think the shops really push people into it unless it's like a shop for triathletes or a shop specifically for a high performance or just a recreational shop. But isn't it more beneficial or more efficient to be clipped in because you can, you can pull and push, whereas if you're not clipped in, you're essentially just pushing the whole time. You know, it's funny you should mention that, Neil, because I've set PRs both ways, right? Yeah. And pulling up in a sprint is good because you have to pull up very quickly to push down quickly on the other side. But I don't really see a difference, personally, what I'm riding with with people and we just start mixing it up. And, you know, somebody asked one time, how do you climb with flats? Same as you, one pedal stroke at a time. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And they're just kind of like, you mean you can climb on flat pedals? Like, yeah, you can. Um, <laughs> it, it, if you have the right pedal and the right shoes, when you push down, it'll grip like Velcro. And, and you're going to get more power pushing down and pulling back as it is. So I don't really think for a recreational person, no. But if you're high level and you want that extra oomph, I mean, there's a reason that the, the highest level – uh, pro tour riders or, or pro mountain bikers, cross country races, they're clipped in because they get that little extra performance benefit. So if you're that level, yes. If you're not, I don't really think it's necessary. Are there specific exercises that you would recommend cyclists avoid, especially if they're avid cyclists? Let's 
preface that by saying avid cyclist, like kind of maybe competitive, but on that borderline. Anything seated, leg press, ham curl, knee extension, hack squat, Smith machine, because you're already exhibiting force in a fixed position on a machine that doesn't really do any good to get into that position when you're working out. Because there's just, I haven't really seen a good reason to do that or, or a lot of functional carryover. I just don't see it. Anything face up where you're bringing your torso towards your feet, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really see the, the benefit of that. Again, because you're already compressed as you sit and you're sitting down all day. I'm not really a fan of plyometrics for cyclists. And I remember Mike Boyle said this a long time ago train for your sport and then get more explosive through the sport, right? So if you want to get faster on your bike, then go do hill repeats, sprint on the bike because it's a lot more applicable. Mm-hmm. Plus, most cyclists, their lower bodies are so tight and their muscles aren't moving the bones the right way. So if you start putting speed on dysfunction, all you do is accelerate the chance of getting hurt, mm-hmm. right? So I don't, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm also not a big fan of overhead pressing for cycling. Because their, yeah, their thoracic mobility is terrible. Their shoulder impingement is probably pretty high, and the benefit they're going to get from that is pretty low. I don't think they should be doing anything above horizontal because, again, on a bike, unless you're putting your hands up because you just crossed the finish line first, you know, (laughs) and you don't need to really go overhead. You know, if you want to do something like that, then, then, you know, go to school of calisthenics and learn their handstand progressions, mm-hmm. right? But don't put raw weights over your head because a lot of people, once they start to get that overhead extension, they get that lumbar extension mm-hmm. and their lumbar spine is doing the movement for the shoulder to get that vertical, quote, vertical line from wrist to hip. So I wouldn't go overhead at all. Uh, pull-ups, probably not. Probably not pull-ups. Again, because most people have that, the trouble getting arms overhead as it is. And if you have, let's say you're internally rotated, which a lot of cyclists are because, oh, another injury, you know, the, the forearms on top, right, from that internal rotation, that's not going to help you at all, especially if you got forward head position going overhead or, or and no behind the back pulling on a lap pull down machine, like ever. And that's, that's, that's if they don't have the mobility or even if they do have the mobility, you don't find it to help carry over at all. I don't really see, I don't see the carryover. I don't. I'd rather have somebody doing single arm split stance across the body or chopping or, or chopping from a low to high position rather than going up directly overhead. Yeah, you just basically want to attack the opposite of what they're used to doing. Definitely. A lot of uh, reverse fly motions. And I'm okay with them going overhead on a stability ball doing you know, a, a V, T, Y, and I, depending on what that area looks like between Y and I, then I'm okay with that. Uh, people love <laughs> when I give them a stick and they're face down on the ground, I tell them, okay, well, lift it up and try to pull it apart. And yeah. Okay, go ahead and start. And they're like, I did. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we shouldn't be there right now. Let's go somewhere else first and then we'll come back to that. So, because you want to, you would probably want to take a more strategy of making sure that all the joints are actually understanding their function first. You know, spinal segmentation, you know, wrist mobility, elbow mobility. Yeah, and I think that's why cyclists should have isometrics as a foundation of their program, particularly a single leg squat position with what I call a plank. I mean, plank anytime you're not moving. 
single leg squat position. Because if you can hold that position statically, when you're on the bike, that's a lot more controlled. When I'm talking to groups of cyclists and doing workshops and whatnot, I have people stand on one leg and it's like dominoes just falling over. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, folks, if you can't stand on one leg and produce stability and strength standing still, this is what's happening on your bike, particularly on the saddle. You just don't know it because the bike is moving. So get better at standing still if you want more power moving. And again, this is where the sticks have been in just invaluable from that perspective because all of the isometric things people can do with that, it's just, you can't beat that. Plus with that, a lot of people with the, the rounded shoulders and the, the bad T-spine position, they need to be able to get the shoulder blades to, to retract and depress. So I love, 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 love having people do, especially with the suspension straps or a band. With a band, it's a splint stats, single arm scapular retraction, clock is running, hold it. Why are you shaking? Stop shaking. You're shaking. Okay, we're stopping because your body can't hold that position. Your functional threshold's got to go up. I don't care if you can go up Page Mill Road in your 53, the biggest gear you have on your bike right now, you can't even hold your arm out and diagonally stabilize. So that PR you sent last weekend, it doesn't mean squat because off your bike, your body can't do anything. So let's make it happen. And then with the suspension straps, just the same thing, but you know, parallel stance, scapular retraction, hold it. How long can you hold that? Can you hold that? And then if they can hold that, then let's see what single arm rowing looks like. And then we'll go from there. I, I very rarely have people do bilateral things with their upper body that I, the endurance athletes that I train because that rotational nature of like with the Serape effect and everything else, you, there's, it's just more functional. Now, if they came in, they said, oh, I just want to get as strong as possible. Like, well, okay, we're going to deadlift. You're going to push dumbbells from the floor and you're going to row big time with two arms, but that's not what you're doing on the bike. So we're going to make it look like riding a bike as much as possible. Then we're going to do things that don't look like riding a bike. So your hips can open up to the left and to the right. So I'm assuming you're, uh, you definitely, if you're an avid cyclist, you probably want to stay away from doing sit-ups. Yeah. The sit-up is, it's a hip flexor exercise the way a lot of people do it. And yeah. if you're already nailing your hip flexors on the bike, yeah, it doesn't just, really do any good. Plus, you know, what Dr. McGill says about if a lot of people, they, they throw themselves forward and you get that lumbar flexion. And it's just, if, if you're a a competitive grappler of some sorts, then you need to be on the floor isometrically producing force so another person can't produce force on you. Then, okay, I see the application. But if you're riding a bike, you're vertical. Mm -hmm. You're not horizontal facing up. supine, right? So exercise accordingly. Well, I think one of the things that we could recommend for cyclists who want to, because we all know it's mindset. Some people yeah. are like, no, I need to do this. Uh, definitely do a Jonda crunch or a Jonda sit up instead. So you shut the hip flexors down. So for people that don't know what we're talking about, you actually take your heels, rest it up even on a TRX or a box or something that's elevated and you push down to shut, to deactivate the hip flexors then. Yeah. Or the so, McGill curl up. Yeah. McGill curl up and you can YouTube these. So if you have questions on what we're talking about, just go on to YouTube and either look at the McGill curl up or the Jonda crunch or the Jonda sit up. And those will be much better for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to people. Oh, I can do a five minute plank. 
great. I don't care. You're probably hanging on your lumbar spine at the end of it anyway. Big deal. Right. Two minutes. You can do it for two minutes. Great. Then you're strong. I can help you. But <laughs> don't do five-minute plank challenges or push-up challenges if you're a cyclist. I mean, just just don't ever. Well, I find what's – I love the full kneeling hollow outs, vertical hollow outs for people that say, well, I can hold a five-minute plank or a four-minute plank. You put them in a full kneeling with the two sticks and you give them the vertical hollow out. Yeah, yeah. And within five to six seconds, you'll see them just – So you're like, well, how valid is your two to five-minute plank? If in five or six seconds you're doing this and you see the entire body just trembling. Yep. Yeah. So, and once again, that's going dealing with a vertical position versus horizontal where gravity has way more enjoyment with you. Yeah. Well, right. and we'll take that out even further a trail that gets off camber or a rock that happens to be in the trail or a root that happens to be in the trail that throws things off camber. If you can't resort, resist and apply force to your left and to your right, when in doubt, clip out. <laughs> you better start walking because that's going to be your safest course of action. You, you have to be able to resist those lateral forces if you're going to have your body move your bike underneath. When I do a talk, there's three things that I tell people to do. It's the brain tells the body to move to produce forward motion on the bike. So it's three Bs, brain, body, bike. And a lot of people think that you get stronger and more fit from the neck down when really the captain of the ship is sitting above your collarbone. Mm -hmm. If you can't get your nervous system to coordinate the movements the right way, then you're going to leak power and you're not going to have as much fun on your bike. Let's say somebody wants to do some strength training on the same day that they're doing a bike ride. Should they do that before their bike ride or post bike ride? It depends. This guy, George Hincap, he used to race with Armstrong. Mm, yep. He would do plyo power kind of stuff, and then he'd go do a sprint workout, and he said his numbers were higher. But he was getting paid to race in the Tour de France. So yeah, at yeah. that point, his, his trainers and physios, they figured out that George can put out more power. His nervous system will give him more if we do these things beforehand. I think it's probably more valuable for people who aren't getting paid to do their strength work after because then you can reset the body right? Then you can do your curtsy lunges. You can do 45 degree lunges. You can do lateral lunges. You can do anti-rotation movements in a half kneeling position like a Pavlov press or things of that nature. And you could, you could bring your body back to kind of a, a normal steady state. I don't think you'll ever be able to one for one rep out a workout with the amount of RPMs or pedal strokes you take on a ride but I think if you manage your workouts correctly, you can give yourself a pretty good fighting chance of feeling good to go do it again. Would you ever program it where it's like, hey, we're doing a really intense ride, so then we'll do more of a recovery type of training. And then if we're doing just a recovery ride or an easy ride, maybe we do our heavy strength session or power session before in the gym. Yeah, that's where the, on Mondays, I tell the riders that I work with, hey, don't do any squatting or any lunging because if you did hip flexion movement on your bike all weekend long you're just going to hammer that movement pattern again so do hip hinging either standing up or or you know go down to the floor and put your calves on the ball and do some bridging put a band around the knees do some lateral work standing up maybe even hold it onto a sandbag so it's a total body thing and then we'll recover your your flexion pattern will reactivate your posterior chain We'll give you a diagonal loading pattern, some love, 
So that way, when you get back on your bike tomorrow for that sprint workout or hill repeat workout, boom, you're ready to go. And if it's a recovery type ride situation and we're trying to build some strength up, then again, since they're doing that hip flexion pattern, I'm going to have them load up isometrics. I'll have them hold on to a sandbag in that single leg squat plank position. I'll have them lean over, maybe do some rowing on a single leg in a, in a hinged over position or just a single arm kettlebell hold where you've got that diagonal patterning or, or some type of just let's push force to the right and make the left side of your body resisted and vice versa. And that puts them back together a lot more without doing all of that, that eccentric and concentric contractions that really hammers their muscles and fatigues the joints. Have you seen any studies where it shows like, hey, look, if you can... Uh, Bulgarian split squat, you know, this amount of weight, it's going to, you're going to produce the most amount of power or, you know, give you the best chance to produce a lot of power on the bike. I haven't actually. The only ones I've seen are. Or any exercise. It doesn't have to be a Bulgarian uh, split squat is just an example there. I, I haven't seen it. I don't look at that side of it because the people that I train on the bike don't ask me about that information. If they did, then I would look for it. It's more application from empirical evidence, right? Does this exercise help you move better? Okay, great. Does this exercise with more load help you move better or does it overpower your stability? And then when you get on the bike, you can't ride as well. But that's the case. Okay, so we got to back off and lighten the load or change the rest periods or whatever and then go from there because it's it's just easier because cyclists are information junkies as it is everything i mean there's a a website that somebody put together and i don't know how they got this much time but they measured the weight it's for weight it's, it's weightweenie.com i don't know what the hell it is but this person measured the weight of everything you could put on a bike down to the like titanium bolt versus aluminum bolt carbon this versus aluminum that titanium Jeez. this versus carbon that and, uh, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I remember one time when I was racing, I wanted a new carbon seat post for my bike because it was going to eat up a little bit more vibration from the trails, and then it was going to lighten the load by, I don't know, like a zillionth of an ounce. And, uh, Dennis, you know Jill and how mm -hmm. sometimes she's super mean to me. She came <laughs> up to me. <laughs> you deserve and, it, though. <laughs> shut up. She patted me on the stomach, and she said, why don't you start with that? It's free. And then she walked away and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, but, but it's so true. Like you'll buy the lightest, most expensive thing for your bike when you could just kind of clean up your eating a little bit or, or sleep a little mm. bit more and then maybe shed a few ounces like that. That's a good point. Yep. <laughs> That's a good point. A lot of people don't think about that, huh? And it's funny because cycling is all about power to weight ratio which mm -hmm. i'm still not sold on after two decades plus in this industry because i've been passed in a mountain bike race that things called the clydesdale division and you got to be in mountain bike racing you got to be 200 plus pounds to be a clydesdale oh. and i've been passed by clydesdales and i'm talking the peak of my racing condition so i'm not exactly sold on power to weight because i mean i would think the body would adapt to the load you're putting onto it mm -hmm. so yeah i've never really been able to be convinced of that one. But, you know, one of the things that a cyclist should do, and a lot of them don't, is sleep more. They don't sleep enough. They don't sleep enough. And if you're trying to get rid of three, five pounds or whatever plus pounds, if you're not sleeping, 
not going to happen. Plus, mm -hmm. with the hormonal response that we know cycling gives and, and the inflammation that it can put into the body from the, the endurance activities, mm -hmm. then if you're not sleeping enough, you're not going to get rid of that. So it doesn't matter how well you eat, how well you train. If you're not sleeping, you're not getting enough vitamin Z, you're behind the eight ball as it is. What about when it comes to breathing on a bike? Are you, are you really focusing on that? Like, are you doing nasal breathing? Are you just you know, doing the normal breathe in through your nose, breathe out through your mouth. You know, you know what's, what's your biggest focus? It's funny. When I owned my first facility, we did Tuesday night class where people bring their bikes, they put them on their indoor trainer and we do a workout in the winter. So one night I said, all right, people, we're going to do nasal breathing and you're going to go faster and you're going to put out more power and you're going to ride better and you're not going to notice the difference because you're going to be more efficient. So here we go. So I started people... The inhale through the nose, make sure you can hear it in the back of your throat, exhale, right? Okay, pick up 10 RPMs, inhale, exhale, pick up 10 RPMs. And over time, people were riding over 110 RPMs, and the ones that couldn't do it prior who were getting gassed, they were amazed because we slowed them down. And by slowing them down, we allowed them to go faster. You, you have to breathe on a bike. A lot of people think that the best way to get to the top of a hill is to take one breath and hold it for 20 minutes. You know, you, you have to inhale and exhale repeatedly, particularly inhale and exhale repeatedly. If you're going down a technical trail, I don't care if you got 14 feet of travel on your bike, if you're really tight and wound up, all you're going to do is send tension every part of your body. Your heart rate's going to spike. Your cortisol levels are going to spike. Your nervous system is going to want to lock you down so you can't put out more power. You have to breathe and remain in control of your physiology from that standpoint because if you can't, your body's not going to function as well as possible. And then my, my mother-in-law at one point, I did a race and I cramped up and she asked me, how long do you exhale? I'm like, I don't know. I'm racing. I don't, I don't have those numbers tabulated. <laughs> she said, because... If you exhale longer, she was a professor in biochemistry. If, mm -hmm. if you exhale longer than you inhale, then you can expel more physiological waste from the system when it's under load. And I was thinking, that is brilliant. It's information that would have helped me 24 hours ago. But yeah, that's really good to do. So the more you exhale, the more you can clean out the system too. So you have to breathe because cycling is an aerobic sport, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It, it runs on oxygen. And sometimes the piper comes and demands an oxygen debt be paid. You better be able to breathe as well as possible when you're doing it. That's a great point. Yeah. Because, I mean, breathing is such an underestimated part of training overall. I mean, I think it's trivialized way too much. And that goes along with internal rotation of the shoulders and a compressed chest cavity because the, you've got kyphosis on the backside or you have poor T-spine mobility. If you want that rib cage to expand and for those balloons on either side of the rib cage to fill up with as much air as possible, you can't breathe in that cylindrical fashion if mm -hmm. you're there. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it because it's all going to be chest breathing. It's all going to be right around the collarbone. And all it's going to do is give you a threat response and it's not going to allow you to perform as well as possible. You're going to end up pretty much hyperventilating. You can't. Because yeah. you're going to be taking such short breaths because you're already constricted. And then if you're a mouth breather, then you're pull, trying to pull, 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 and then you end up pretty much just hyperventilating. Yeah, it's a skill that it's, it's a very much an acquired skill. It takes a really long time 
to be able to do it, but for people who can dial it in, it will make such a difference in your enjoyment of the sport of cycling that if get strong, yeah, but definitely learn how to breathe because they'll be even stronger. So for the recreational cyclists, would you recommend them wearing a heart rate monitor when they go ride? I'm of two minds of that. The first side of that coin, and this is from personal experience, the more metrics you have to look at when you're riding a bike, the less you pay attention to riding that bike. Mm -hmm. Somebody let me use their power wheel one time and I was doing a sprint and I was looking down at how many watts I was putting out. And this mailbox had the audacity to try to jump out in front of me. (laughs) Luckily, I was able to side skirt the mailbox. But, you know, a lot of cycling coaches, they'll have their athletes put tape over their displays when they're racing so they don't pay attention to that. Numbers can drive you insane, especially if somebody's heart rate goes too high. And, well, 220 minus my age is supposed to be my max. Like, maybe starting out, but if your body is adapting physiologically, in theory – if you're getting more fit aerobically, you should be able to hold a higher heart rate and maintain a higher heart rate and, and elevate your, your max heart rate, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people see those numbers and they'll oh, go back off because I don't want anything bad to happen to me. Now, if you have a family history of cardiac issues, then that's a great call. And if you have family history of cardiac issues, wear that heart rate monitor, preferably a strap. Wrist-based units are good. The strap is better. If, if that is something that you have a family history of, then stay on top of those numbers as much as possible. But if you're a recreational cyclist and that's not an issue that you have, enjoy the bike first. Learn all the places you can ride that bike that will help you enjoy it more. And then if you want to start dabbling in, okay, well, how long did it take me to get from A to B this time I rode my bike? It took me this long. Okay. Then use a watch, right? A watch. Watch is the same thing that a $500 computer will do with apologies to computer sellers <laughs> by computer sellers but if the less you have to think about as a recreational cyclist the better right don't right. think just do get on your bike sit on it put your hands on the bars push the right pedal down push the left pedal down pick up some speed feel the wind on your body put a smile on your face and go enjoy yourself so you know with the rise of peloton and everything have you seen um you know, a bigger boost and and people riding bikes outside too? You know, I don't know that it's so much the rise of the indoor cycling manufacturers as it is people just want to be outside more now, right? Because we know uh, this gal Florence Williams wrote this great book called The Nature Fix. And she Mm -hmm. talks all about forest bathing and forest medicine and all of the physiological benefits that we get from being in nature right? Was it the cypress trees? The smell from a cypress tree is pretty damn near like a tranquilizer for us. It just totally mellows us out. So I think a lot of people to escape the stress and and the irony of what I'm about to say, a screen, since we're recording over Zoom, (laughs) to get outside and just reconnect with, with kind of our raw primal essence in nature is what is driving most people outside. I mean, a day like today is beautiful outside. And in you would be hard pressed to put me on a bike inside today just because it's so beautiful outside and I can't see trees. I can't hear birds. I can't hear a brook, a little, or a little Creek or whatever, Mm -hmm. if I'm inside riding. So I think that it's more a function of just needing to get outside, see other human beings and just get some nature time and get some vitamin D more importantly than it is anything else. Yeah. It's that ASMR effect that you're lacking when you're 
on a Peloton or something like that, right? Yeah, and, and with those things, those are great, and they get people moving. The potential tricky part is, and there's a great place they're starting to do it now, people who do bike fits for Peloton bikes, because that mm-hmm. bike's no different than anything else. If you're on that Peloton bike and you're doing a wonderful job getting your heart rate up and working on your physiology to strengthen your cardiovascular system. But if that seat is in the wrong position, or again, if you're clipped in and your foot's in the wrong position, your cardiovascular conditioning will be the least of your concerns over time from a repetitive stress injury because you're locked into a position where your muscles are moving your bones the wrong way. If you have an indoor cycle that you like to use, do it. Do it. Just type in bike fitting wherever you live and start calling shops and, or physical therapists and say, hey, can you fit me to my indoor bike? That way you don't need to go see the physical therapist. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah I don't think a lot of people take that into consideration on an indoor bike, huh? Because yeah, I think they they kind of fit you, right? You know, when people buy a Peloton, they, they try to help you, but, you know, I don't know if they're... How as, specific as, yeah. It is. yeah, I mean, you could pay up to... And I've done it before when I was racing. You could pay up to almost $400 for a fit. But it's... It's called a retool system, and they put these dots on your body, and they connect you with wires, and the dots show your joint movements, right? So they'll adjust your cleats and your saddle to get your knee tracking in between the hip and the ankles, you know, given your cue factor as much as possible. So if you can get that done to that level, I'd always recommend that. It's not cheap. One of the easiest ways to do it is you sit on your bike, the uh, angle of the, the seat tube where you sit down if you extend the pedal along that angle you put your heel on the back of the pedal you can ballpark a decent position uh the global cycling network on youtube look up bike fit global cycling network and they have some information on how you could fit yourself it's not Mm -hmm. perfect but it could be the difference between enjoying your ride and feeling bad physically Mm -hmm. after your ride so if you if you're on a bike of any kind indoor outdoor a fit is absolutely critical because again you are your plane of movement and your joint motions are being dictated by the machine that you're sitting on top of those angles better be as neutral for your body as possible do a lot of people that take up biking as a new thing do they tend to have any hand issues i've heard people that have come to me and said hey when i ride a bike i get numbness in my hands yeah and a lot of times that could be from Shoulder elevation, mm-hmm. forward head position, internal rotation where something's getting impinged, usually in the shoulder that just kind of works its way down. Mountain bikers, like motocross racers, they'll get this thing, you know, the arm pump and, and hand fatigue where the forearm just feels like just gets mm-hmm. full of blood and it's going to blow up. A lot of times that can be taken care of with a carbon handlebar because it'll eat up more vibration or using oh. silicone grips. Right, I've got aluminum handlebars on my bike, but they're, they're filled with this kind of foam that dampens a ton of vibration. And then I've got silicon foam grips that, to me, there's no difference between the carbon bar that I had and this one. And my forearm fatigue is a lot, a lot less. So even just the components you choose to use can have a really big effect on how that bike feels. And if, if your hands are getting numb and you're getting that fatigue from the wrists up into the shoulders, you're going to start getting into funky positions mm-hmm. and you're just going to, as you fatigue, that position is going to get worse and worse and worse. Now you don't have to go out and spend top dollar on something, but do some research, look for best vibration dampening grips mm. or, or, you know, 
best vibration dampening aluminum handlebars or things of that nature. And that, that goes a long way. So then have you seen some, you know, performance increases just from training someone's grip or your own grip? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because when, particularly in a sprint, when you're out of the saddle sprinting, the way I look at it, you are trying to rip those handlebars right off the stem. You want to, I mean, like like a clean break. And if you do that, you can't be holding on to a butterfly in your hand as you're doing, you got to death grip it, right? Just like with the sticks, you've got to put that pinky damn near through your handlebars to get mm. that irradiation all the way through. So grip work for a cyclist is, is very underrated. I don't think it's done enough. I, I think people, like if they're doing loaded carries while well, my forearms burn, it's going to hinder my cycling later on, where I believe the inverse is true. Mm. That the better your grip strength is, the more power you're going to have. Because even seated, when you're under load going up a hill and you push your bike down, it, it wants to go forward a tiny bit. Like you watch a track cyclist in the Olympics, their first pedal stroke, it damn near shoots their body 20 feet behind them because mm. there's so much power going into that bike that it's essentially at that point, you are locked into a seated row position and your lats better be able to provide that strength and the stability and the torque. And if your grip isn't where it's supposed to be, Good luck, lats. What would you say, like, I see the cradles, those arm cradles, then you would say avoid those? What do you mean, arm cradles? Like, you see them resting? The- oh, oh, oh. No, because it's, it's you're a triathlete or you're doing time trials from the oh, aero so more dynamics perspective. Yeah, it's, okay. it's sport specific. But if you spend a lot of time compressing the middle of your body, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. your left and right half into the middle of your body, you better be spending a lot of time off that bike Open going the other way. Definitely. So that's not something that a recreational cyclist would ever need. No, you'll see people who sign up for century rides and fondos. They'll okay. use that just because it's another comfort position. And if you're going to ride 100 miles, you're going to want some options. Again, if you can do it and it doesn't bother you, have at it. It's, it's one more thing to buy. I mean, if you want to look yeah. at it from that perspective, if yeah. you can rest your arms on your handlebars for a minute or two. And the other thing with that is, if you're in that position, your hands are on bars out in front of you, a lot of the times you'll, the, the high-end bikes still have the brake levers at the end of those. Mm-hmm. But for just horns, it's the pad and the horn. You still have to move your hands to your brakes. And on oh. a bike, that extra second to second and a half could be huge. looking straight ahead and checking out the clouds. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah, yeah especially yeah. at high speeds. Man. High speeds. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a blast to, to go downhill fast. I, I'm not going to lie. I love doing it. I mean, I still, haven't, <laughs> I, I still haven't told Jill how fast I've gone. I did a mountain bike race, a downhill kind of race one time, and, and I went over 45 miles an hour. And oh, I didn't realize that until I got to the bottom of the hill. Yeah, it was one of the – it's called a Super D. Basically, it's a sprint. It's a downhill sprint for five minutes. Yeah. And you aren't thinking about death. <laughs> All you're thinking about is putting your front oh, wheel damn. in front – of the person in front of you. And I got to the bottom. I'm like, oh, okay, that was fun. And then I, I looked down at the max speed and my knees damn near buckled. I was like, holy <laughs> moly. I went that fast on a mountain that's where you, That's where you put the tape over it. Yeah, right? <laughs> and then you look yeah, at yeah. it after, man. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, well, if she listens to this, she'll know, but I never told Jill about that, you know, because that's just, mm, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're going down the hill, Again, that finish line is all you're focusing on. You yeah, know yeah. how you get there. Right? Yeah. And in fact, racing a bike is one of the best ways to get better at handling skills, especially on the mountain side of life. You can think about what you did afterwards and adjust accordingly. 
right? But you, mm. can't be, you can't be thinking on the way down because you're not yeah, going to no. breathe yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. Do you thinking after your races? But let's face it, as kids, when we rode bikes, that was one of the best features was oh, when you yeah. hit a downhill angle, right? Just right? flying, man. Let it yeah, go. Yeah. Flying. It was yeah, fun. When, when and there were no Jeremy. helmets back then. We didn't no, wear helmets. No. I've told Jeremy how to ride my wheel, right? So he, could, he drafts off me around the neighborhood. And we'll get going 15, 20 miles an hour. And that kid can turn over about 140 RPMs. I mean, he's got oh, that shit. explosive gene. Yeah, but he's, but he's like his father. When the terrain starts to go from a decline to an incline, that needle goes from F to E in an instant. You know? <laughs> but he loves it. Just watching him sprint on his butt. You know, it's so funny. His, because he hasn't been taught how to move incorrectly yet, and his feet still connect to his body and everything else. Him riding out of the saddle is perfect. I mean, he's just a little kid moving his body. And it's, yeah, it's like the yeah. essence of just what you should do. He can sprint out of the saddle. He loves jumping off curbs. He's fun to ride with. I remember when we used to ride bikes with no hands. And you'd take turns. Like you would, like you would make a right and a left turn just leaning into yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I was a kid in the summer when shenanigans happen when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. We would build ramps. And let's, let's face it. The architecture and craftsmanship and a blueprint <laughs> for a ramp. It's just like, hey, get that thing, stack it up, and off we go. You know? And we would jump over people. Right? Yeah. But your <laughs> your place in line was dictated by your seniority in the neighborhood. So if you were close to the launching point, you, you were, were good. In you were yeah, good. there were a lot of people <laughs> yep. who broke the fall of somebody in the air who didn't oh, stick man. <laughs> Oh, being kids is just so much fun about the stupid shit you did. And then you look back at it and go, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Jeremy's got this way of talking. And this look on his face, and it, I swear to God, you could take that face and that tone of voice, you could put it on Obi-Wan's body and, and have him say, these aren't the droids you're looking for, and it's the same thing. He'll say, Dad, we're going to do this, right? And Dad, we're going to do this at this time because I want to do it, and you're going to do it because it'll be fun, right? And, and it's almost like I got to like, no, no, we can't. <laughs> Because, you know, when Jill's gone, the rules of engagement change a little bit. And yeah. when he and I well, start mom's not around, different yeah. things, yeah, there have been things that I've let him do on his bike that if Jill knew, she would, wouldn't be good. <laughs> well, if she listens to this, she's going to be asking you some questions, bro. I'll tell him that the way the show was edited, it was just to get sound bites to make me sound. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You got anything in development or anything that you're working on or? Yeah, uh, right now I'm also with Matt Schifferly from the Red Delta Project. Mm-hmm. We have the nice. Fit at Home podcast where every week we talk about things that people can do at home. We give a fitness tip, a nutrition tip. Like for me, one of my nutrition tips was drink more water. That's it. You know, so it's really, really low-level nutrition tips because that's not my jam. I'm not really qualified to give diet advice. All I can tell you, Neil and Dennis, don't go to McDonald's five days a week. <laughs> like, like that's the extent of my nutrition tip you know i think you'd be surprised at how many people need to hear that though yeah you would change a lot of lives man. you really would <laughs> i mean as funny as, as as silly as we think it may be some people need to hear that see now that baffles my mind just given the movie about the guy who ate there for a month straight and yeah, the supersize me yeah yeah there you go and uh that kind of thing like i don't uh, well again you know it's the industry that we're in yeah, uh, but I get it. You you're stressed out as a parent. 
your time is limited. If you're lucky, it's limited. It's only limited if you're lucky. You've got a family you've got to feed. And the dollar goes far at places like that. So it's convenient, it's quick, and you can get some food into your family. I completely get that side of it. Now, everything in moderation. You know, gee, one of my, I was telling someone the other day, one of my favorite meals is to sit down at a table full of trainers because we'll eat everything except the damn chairs. <laughs> you know? I mean, dude, there that. I was telling somebody when we went to, uh, was it Brown Cow or Chicken brown or whatever chicken, that place cow. Cow. There it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The weekend of the first certification. I mean, like I was almost, I almost felt sorry for the waitress because she couldn't get food to the table fast enough. (laughs) And it was just like guilt-free eating of things that taste amazing, right? Because it's okay to eat that. Like I'm sure you guys have people, they go on vacation and they'll come back and it's it's almost like, like they stepped in the one side of the box and I stepped on the other side of the box and I pulled the curtain back and there's the screen in front of us, you know, and they'll say, you know, bless me, Al, for I have sinned. I drank wine, I had desserts, and I ate deep fried food on my vacation. And I'll tell them, good, great, good for you. You did what you were supposed to do on vacation. Enjoy yourself and then get back on the horse when you get back. Don't deprive yourself and think, I got to lose weight on vacation. That's, that's the worst way to have vacation. It's that reward and punishment perspective, yeah. right? Somewhere along the way, our industry has lost its focus to some extent. I think that, particularly from the social media standpoint, and I'll probably lose every follower I have after I say this, it's, it's more, hey, fit fam, I just, look what I did to just crush my last gym sesh, half, hashtag beast mode. Well, that's mm-hmm. great. But you're now, the next day, your joints hurt so much, you're not crushing anything except ice packs on your knees. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's kind of like, I, I think if, if there's one thing that the last year has taught me, it's... Uh, hashtag least mode, meaning what is the minimum effective dose that I can do, that I can give to my clients, I can do for myself, because now I've got a much better chance of moving and feeling better and nailing fundamentals. I mean, the the workouts that I have people do now, I I wish I would have had this programming knowledge when I had access to a complete gym, because I don't know, I would have used more than one or two things. It's funny because the amount of stress that people have been under in the last year, exercise is good. Exercise is a stress reliever. But I think a lot of the ways that it's portrayed on social media is it, it can only be a stressor if you don't train to the point where you're just this worthless puddle of humanity on the ground and you damn near have to put your head in a bucket. You didn't work out hard enough. But let's block that back a little bit. If you're under a bunch of psychological stress, why – in the hell would you add more physical stress to your body like that instead mm-hmm. of giving your body, like, like uh, Tim Anderson says, some movement snacks, right? Mm-hmm. Go, if you want to do something that's really hard, get you, go crawl, crawl, mm-hmm. crawl forward, crawl backwards, crawl sideways, set up cones, crawl in a figure eight. You'll want to get your heart rate up, at least do something that's going to benefit you from a complete total body movement perspective rather than thinking I've got to absolutely destroy myself because the more sore I am, the better my workout was. And, and sore is not more when you train the core, right? Mm-hmm. I, I interviewed Stu McGill a super long time ago, and he said, look, if you're sore today, you can't train tomorrow. If, mm-hmm. if your thumb hurts to hit with a hammer, you don't take that hammer and replace it with a bigger one to keep swinging. You put it down, mm-hmm. right? You put it down. So mm-hmm. I think it, it, from that perspective, we've lost perspective. 
And if I had one wish for the industry, it would be, look, what do you do during the day? You pick up your kid. So for instance, like, you know, you, you pick up your, your kiddo and you play with your kiddo. Uh oh, and I've seen you swing a golf club, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. So then, then Neil functionally trained your body to perform those tasks with fitness being the ability to perform a task. No more, no less for that task specifically because that's what your day requires. You don't need to train like a special ops person because, well, you're not one, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> you, you can't train like something you're not. And I get the marketing of training like an elite whatever insert sells. your category of elite mm -hmm. human being here but what you don't see on the back end of that is okay this elite training person they've got cryotherapy at home they've got infrared sauna at home they've got a, a, a fleet of massage people they've got someone telling them when to sleep monitoring their sleep telling them how much to sleep they've got someone telling them how much to eat when to eat it and what to eat They've got someone telling them do this many reps and not another rep more. They got sports psychology. They got acupuncture. They got physical therapy. I mean, they have a whole suite of complementary parts that allow them to do that because maybe their livelihood depends on it. If your livelihood doesn't depend on it, then let your body have a chance. Give it a chance to just move with fluidity and, and balance and stability. I, I just, I don't understand that. And it, it will always forever baffle my mind because especially like I, I was working with somebody one time and he told me I had a trash rotator cuff. I was like, well, how'd you do it? Kippings. Well, are you still doing them? Yeah. I want to do more pull-ups. Like why? You destroyed your shoulder doing pull-ups. Why do you want to go to the place that did the thing? That doesn't make any sense. Are you getting paid to do pull-ups? No. You doing Spartan races? No. Well then what are you doing? Uh, but it's, it's that, yeah, it's the mentality. It's, it's, it's so hard. And, and for endurance athletes, the absolute worst four letter word you can say to them is not something you have to go to church on Sunday to confess. Having said it's the word rest. Mm -hmm. You tell them to rest. You have to bake it into their programs. Like the cycling coach, they, they have to put in dedicated rest days and or people will say, well, can I go for a walk? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> can, can I go for a recovery ride? Are you really going to go at a coffee shop pace? Really? Right, you, yeah. Well, I'm going to go on this group ride. I'm just going to sit on the back. No, you're going to go on the group ride. You're going to get in mode. You're going to try to go off the front and stay there. I mean, you almost have to strap them to a chair. But again, yeah. that's, that's where the mentality yeah, yeah. comes in of if I'm not moving, I'm losing fitness, uh, right? Yeah. Or if I'm not moving, I'm losing strength in, in the gym setting and things like that rather than realizing that it's a stimulus and a response. Yep. stimulate the muscles, don't annihilate them, give them the chance to get that adaptation at the, the cellular level so they get stronger and your nervous system has a better chance to coordinate muscles moving bones and incrementally, right? I'd rather have somebody at five pounds a week than 500 in one day and get hurt, right? That's I mean, apparently Schwarzenegger said, what's the difference? someone asked him, what's the difference between five pounds and 500? He said, well, can you move five the right way? And I think a lot of people think what they see is what they have to be doing. And I mean, you guys, I'm sure you guys can do a whole other podcast on, on fitness training yeah. and everything else. Comparison training. Yeah. Always comparing yeah. yourself to what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Instead of training yeah. for your own purpose, you know? Yeah. Yeah. FOMO fitness, man. Yeah. 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 No, that's very true. Yeah. So yeah. where can people get a hold of you or what, you know, social media handles? It's at Do You Integrate on Instagram and Facebook integratefitness.com you can get to my blog i just wrote a post and put it up this week 
about why cyclists need to get off the floor to train their core and the science behind it. The word set is in there a zillion times. And I, I kind of go off big time like I did today about if you're a bike rider, specific adaptations to imposed demands. Mm -hmm. Is the exercise you're doing, does it look like the movement you want to improve? If it does, keep doing it. If it doesn't, stop. If someone tells you to do something that doesn't like cycling, find someone else to tell you to do exercises to do. Yeah, so that's uh, integratefitness.com slash blog dash one, and you'll find that piece. All right. Well, thanks for stopping in, brother. Appreciate it. And always good to see you. And we definitely got to see each other in person since you're only about 10 miles down the road. Hey, fellas, thanks a lot. It, it's been an honor. I can't thank you enough for everything that, that I've learned from you guys. The stick stuff has been such a game changer for myself and all the, the people that I changed. So absolute honor to be on the show. And uh, I really appreciate it. You awesome. got it, man. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. All right, buddy. You take care, and uh, we'll chat soon. And to everyone right. out there, to all of the listeners, until next episode, be good to each other. <laughs>